Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. Some people will hire a VA and say, hey, I want a CRM. Like These are the three CRMs I'm interested in. Why don't you download them and start working on them and seeing which one makes sense, which ones are most conducive to what we're doing. Like Maybe let your VA figure out how to use a CRM. If you found one that you like and you're like, I don't have time to figure this out, but I need all of my leads put in there. I need some automations done. Maybe your VA can, can do that. Like Give them that. That's a task that'll keep them busy for a while, right? You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. Guys, if it sounds like my voice is deeper, that's because it is. I am a little under the weather and I apologize for that, but my voice has gotten crazy deep because I don't feel good. Uh, But I did want to definitely bring you this episode because this is another one of my Wednesday Q&As. And now I've got some exciting news. Normally, I do my Q&A on Facebook. Every Wednesday, you can go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook, and that hasn't changed. However, I am now multi-streaming this, and you can find me on not only Facebook, you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Instagram. So you can watch me in any one of those places, any one of them that you like. If you're not a Facebook person, maybe you don't have Facebook, you have other options now. And if you miss all of those, you've always got me here on the podcast. We replay these for you because I think they're valuable enough and people are obviously liking it because the downloads on Thursdays have surged because I think you guys are, are speaking through your downloads and telling me this is a good thing for you. So I'm excited to bring this one to you. We talked about VAs when you hire them. What? How do you keep them busy? Right, That's the big fear. I'm going to hire this person and I'm not going to have enough for them. We talked about that. We talked about Do you need to have your dialer set up, your CRM set up, all your systems and processes? Do they need to be dialed in before you hire a VA or anybody else? We also talked about hard money lenders. Does the hard money lender disperse funds to the contractor or do you do it yourself? We talked about that. We also talked a little bit about, and I get real fiery when I talk about this, but we talked about pushy buyers. So as a wholesaler, when you're selling that contract or assigning it to a buyer, what do you do when the buyer starts trying to dictate terms or they tell you they don't want you to get multiple offers or they don't want to be in a bidding war and they start trying to dictate and push you around a little bit? How do you deal with that? And I have some very specific answers for that. And also, we just talked in general about what do you look for in an investment property? When you're doing a walkthrough of a property, what types of things are you looking for? So we, we had that conversation. Guys, this is a good one. Buckle up, grab a, a pencil and paper, get ready to take notes. I give you my latest Q&A. Okay, guys, we're here. We're live with you at 7 o'clock. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I am live here to answer your questions like I am every Wednesday about real estate, and I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, I have a slightly different look if you're watching this live or watching the replay. Slightly different look. I'm trying some new tech, and uh, you know how it goes with that. So we'll see. If it all works out and there's no glitches, that will be amazing. On top of it, 
I don't know if you can tell in my voice, not feeling great, um, but excited to be here and excited to do this. I uh, would not want to cancel this for anything. Actually, last night took it out of me pretty good. We had uh, night two, or I should say week two of the uh, seven-figure uh, investor program. And it went for two hours. And it was just... It was long and awesome and just lots of great information, lots of great questions. We just had a blast with everybody who's in the program. Um, they, they learned a ton and, and I know they did because they were asking some really, really great questions. And we covered so much ground, so, so much ground about not only building your business, but hiring people, learning how to find the right people, uh, who to hire, when to hire, all that stuff, right? <clears throat> we talked about it and I think it's going to be impactful for those guys. And they had some great questions afterwards. So that was that was a two-hour uh, thing that I did. I felt a little worse than I do now. Um, and this is not quite as long, but we'll get through it just fine. If you have questions, like I said, put them in the chat. If you're interested in, um, in joining the next round of the Seven Figure Investor Program, uh, you can go here. See, and this is some of my new tech that I'm trying out. Uh, you can go and check it out. If you go to 7-Figure Investor, that's the word 7-FigureInvestor.com. It's going to be starting back up at the beginning of May. And uh, you can go and uh, check that out. And I would love to have you in the program. Uh, but I'll say this program is not for everybody. If you're brand new, you've never done a deal, you don't know anything about real estate, like totally green, completely just never even learned one single thing about real estate investing, it may be a little bit advanced for you. But if you've done a few deals, or maybe you've done a lot of deals, I've got people in the group that have done dozens and dozens and dozens of deals. They're growing and scaling and and they need to know what to do next. And so we we definitely cover all that. We got them. We're going to get them up to seven figures and I'm excited about it. Okay, let's dive into today's uh, stuff. And... Uh, I will, like I said, if you have questions, please ask them in the chat and I will get them up there. And I can actually do some pretty cool stuff like this. Uh, like behind the scenes here, we just put up a little thing in Facebook. If you're in Facebook, you can see it that says, check out my program and see, I can hit that. Boom, right there. See, it's me saying, check out my program. Pretty sweet. Okay. Um, but yeah, please put those questions in the chat. In the meantime, I'm going to answer some questions that came in during the week and uh, and get those answered for you. We have some great questions this week. Some really, really great ones, actually. Uh, the first question, I'm considering hiring a VA, but I'm worried I won't be able to keep them busy. <clears throat> in a market of about 250,000 uh, people, I have a fairly small list. I can go broader in my lists rather than narrow, just so I have more names to call. But am I gaining anything or just creating busy work by doing so? Also, what should I have in place before hiring a VA as far as CRM, dialer, etc.? <clears throat> okay. This is uh, a really... Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a lot, it's a lot of stuff happening here, right? So the VA thing. Um, as far as keeping them busy, sometimes uh, you you hire someone to do a certain job, one specific thing, and then you get in and realize, geez, they can finish this in like an hour. Like, what else do I do? Or maybe it's answering phones and, you know, they answer 10 calls in a day and like, what else do they do the rest of the day? 
I always tell people if you're going to, even not just a VA, anybody, anybody who comes into your company, especially when they're new and they can't just see what has to be done and take it and do it because they just haven't been around long enough, is I like to call, I like to give them what I call infinity jobs. And so I may have brought someone in to answer phones, for example. And so when the phone rings, that's priority one. They drop everything and they answer the phone. But the infinity task maybe in, in my company could be for a phone person, hey, we have this database of old or dead or sort of like colder leads. Why don't you go through and start calling them and, and getting on the phone and just seeing if they've sold their house, if, they're, if anything's changed, like do follow up. And for me, since I've been in business for years and I've done, you know, hundreds and hundreds of deals, I have thousands and thousands of like warm, cold and sort of dead leads in my database. And so going through those and making calls and trying to do that follow up to see if we can, you know, scare up a couple of deals that were we thought maybe we wouldn't really have a chance at because things change, right? So that was that's what I would give every employee is every employee needs to have some kind of a task that no matter how long they work on it, it'll never really get done because maybe it's, you know, returned mail, right? You might get a stack of returned mail. So you want to have all those skip traced and maybe call all those people and, and see what's, you know, what's happening. Because most people can't get a hold of them because your mail came back, right? It got bounced back because of a bad address or something, or it's vacant or whatever. And so calling those folks could be a really great thing. And every week, every month, you're getting a stack of these cards. You get them skip trace, bring them back and have your, your VA or whoever call those. So you want to create an infinity task. That's really, really important. Give them something that's valuable. It's value add or it matters. It means something. It's not busy work, right? When my kids were little, I would give them like, you know, a hammer and, and a piece of wood and just tell them to hit the piece of wood. And they felt like they were doing something, but they weren't actually doing anything, right? There was nothing like, um, there's nothing that they were doing that was helping me in my task, right? You don't want to give your workers like busy work like that. You want to give them something that matters. Um, but it has to be something that is like very deep, like, you know, they'll never really get to the bottom of it. Or if they do get to the bottom of it, you know, they can start over at the top and it makes sense to do that. So anyways, an infinity task. The next part of this question, though, was you have a small list, 250,000 people. You can go broader on your list, um, but you're wondering if that's if that's worth it. It really depends on what your list is. Like, I don't know what your list is. Um but rather than going broader on your criteria, what I would suggest is going broader geographically. Because especially if you're using equity as, as one of your major filters, okay? Because equity doesn't change very fast. And so you don't have to re keep re-downloading an equity list unless you're changing the equity limit or the equity amount. You're constantly changing that. You got to keep downloading, right? <clears throat> but so if I have this, like, let's just say a five square miles or 10 square mile town, okay? And there's 250 people and I, and I have, I'm mailing everybody who has at least 50% equity. And then I say, ooh, I want, I want a bigger list. And so I'm going to start mailing everybody who has at least 30% equity, okay? It's going to make your list bigger and the people won't have as much equity. But I say, rather than change your list sorting criteria, I would say, instead of being at a 10 mile radius, I would be at a 15 or a 20 mile radius. So I'm usually in favor of increasing a ge geographic footprint. Now, if you're telling me your town sits there and for, you know, 100 square miles around it, it's just desert or there's no there's nobody living, that's different. You can't really, 
easily increase your geographic footprint because you'll be driving for hours and hours and hours trying to get to appointments. In that case, you might want to dial in your criteria and maybe change that permanently, not just for a while. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong if you're if you're doing equity at 50% and you say I'm going to do it at 35%, you can still help those people. So that makes sense. Maybe your equity or whatever your filters are, maybe they're a little bit too tight. You're thinking by loosening them you're going to be wasting time, but I'm saying maybe it's a little bit too tight, right? So um, that's something to think about. All right. Uh, boy, let's see. I'm not sure. I got a question here. And uh, I'm kind of like uh, Angela, my assistant in the background, kind of helps me with questions. So I don't know, Angela, if you're fielding this one from Dooley. And I'm not sure I understand it. Um, but I'll read it just in case. How? Let's see. Dooley. I'm reading that right. Dooley says... Hey, how are you doing? I'm into the carpenter thing. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't sound like a question as much as it sounds like a statement. Um, I'm doing great, Dooley, though. Thanks for asking. I appreciate that. Um, but I'm not sure what you mean by saying you're you're into the carpenter thing. So if you have a question about that, by all means, let me know. Type it in and I'll, I'll take a look at it. Um, yeah, there we go. Good. Uh, okay, next question. Let's see. Uh, oh, here we go. The, the third part of the first question here. This is a multi-parter. <clears throat> okay, they asked, before hiring a VA, as uh, before hiring a VA, should you should you have things in place like a dialer, a CRM, etc.? Not necessarily. I mean, it depends on what you're hiring to do. Some people will hire a VA and say, "Hey, uh, I I want a CRM. Like these are the three CRMs I'm interested in. Why don't you download them?" and start working on them and seeing which one makes sense, which ones are most conducive to what we're doing. Like, let Maybe let your VA figure out how to use a CRM. If you found one that you like, and you're like, I don't have time to figure this out, but I need all of my leads put in there. I need some automations done. Maybe your VA can, can do that. Like, Give them that. That's a task that'll keep them busy for a while. right? So give them those kind of things. As far as like a dialer and stuff, if you're hiring them to be a cold caller, yes, you should have your dialer in place before you bring them in because day one, you're going to want them to start making calls and they can't if they don't have their dialer set up and they don't know how to use it. So if you're if you're hiring a cold caller, yes, have the dialer set up. Um, <clears throat> as far as a CRM, I don't think you have to have that in place necessarily. It's great. But again, if you don't have it in place because you've been sort of putting it off because you don't have a lot of time, bring the the VAN or the person you're hiring and say, here, I'm trying to use Podio. There's videos on, on Facebook, or I'm not on Facebook, there's videos on YouTube. Go check them out. I want you to put all my leads in here and get it all set up for me. And that could be something they help you work on. So you don't have to have everything in place to start bringing people in. That's the quickest way to not do things is to think all your ducks have to be in a row before you can take a step forward. I say bring them in and figure it out on the fly. All right, hang on. I'm going to take a quick drink here, guys. I don't know if you can tell my voice is going a little. It's going to sound bad on the podcast, but okay. Next question. Uh, Dooley did not follow up with this question, so we'll go on. Next question. When buying a rehabbed house with a hard money lender, who disperses the funds to the contractor, buyer or lender? Any recommendation? Any recommend? Uh, any recommended time frame? <clears throat> so... I don't think all hard hard money people do it the same. Um, a lot of hard money lenders will write the checks to the contractors directly. Um, I am a hard money lender myself. I have a hard money lending company. I do not write checks to contractors. 
I, I wire money directly into uh, the buyer's account. Once they submit a request for a draw and they give me the proof that I required that it was done, usually that means pictures and video showing everything that they're requesting a draw for that's been done. Once I see that's done, I wire them the money directly and they pay their, their contractors themselves. Um, but a lot of hard money lenders do pay the contractors directly. So that's something to be aware of. All right. Uh, as far as recommended time frame, I'm not sure what that means exactly. I'm not sure what you're asking with recommended time frame. So I'm going to go on because you're not on the call live. So I can't ask you, but I'm not really sure what that means. All right. Next question. I'm going to pop it up here. Um, check this out. Boom. Nick has a question. Here it is. Can you talk about a follow-up sequence with your leads that come in uh, and how and how you follow up with them? So the leads that we get that come in go into our CRM. We're currently... Our, CM, our CRM is RE Simply. So those come into our CRM. We have what we call a lead manager. And it's a little different we have a different setup now than we've had in years past. We have a lead manager who's really more of a data manager. So when the leads come in, she gets them into the CRM. She makes sure that everything in the CRM is filled out properly. And then we have what we call like a, a junior sales or a sales setter. She'll call the lead or if the lead comes in directly, she'll take the call. But our, our lead manager is responsible if my setter doesn't get all the information into our CRM, then our, our lead manager goes back and gets that information. So it's someone who just sort of cleans up if there's a mess with the call, like the call comes in and you know the notes aren't great, she'll go back and follow up and get all the notes. And then it goes into the CRM. Obviously, we go through our process of trying to get out there and get an appointment and get a contract. But if all that doesn't happen and we don't get a contract for whatever reason, then it goes into a follow-up sequence. And then we have uh, emails, text messages, and we do automated calling and manual calling to people who kind of get past the first wave and we don't get the contract. And so that's how we do it in our business. A lot of it's automated, like the emails and the text are automated. The follow-up auto calls, like, like ringless voicemails, those are automated. And then we do manual calls too, like every couple of months just to make sure, you know, another checkpoint and to make sure that they're not, you know, nothing's changed in their situation. So that's how we do it. It all goes into CRM first. And what we found was the person who takes the call doesn't always get all the information exactly. So we would rather have like a true salesperson taking that call and really doing a great job on that call. And then knowing that she's maybe not going to get all the info perfectly, then our lead manager goes back and she's like, like re she is the person responsible for making sure every lead has all the information filled out. If she has to go into public record to like fill in stuff that they didn't cover on the phone, she does that. So that's how we do it. Okay. Next question. I'm just taking these in orders. I see them. All right. Uh, Lawanda, Facebook question. How do you get sponsored? I'm not sure if I understand that. Okay. We did respond to Lawanda and we're asking what she means. Okay. I'm not sure what you mean by get sponsored. Uh, uh, properties I like to show. Okay. Um, she's asking about properties that she wants to show. I'm not, again, Luanda, I'm not really sure what you're asking me. You have properties you want to show. Um, I need, I need a little more. Give me a little bit more there and I can hopefully try to help you. Okay. Next question. I'm just going to kind of keep going here. Uh, okay. 
this question could take a long time, but I'm not going to let it take a long time. But this is something that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. I kind of sometimes get on a soapbox with this stuff. The question is, <clears throat> what do you say when a buyer is pressing you to make a decision and you have other buyers interested that you have to get back to? I don't want to piss him off because he's a huge cash buyer in my area. I mentioned setting up a group showing and they say they don't want to get into a bidding war. Yeah, I bet they don't want to get into a bidding war. Um, if someone's pressuring you to make a decision before you have a chance to get all your offers, it's because they know their offer is not going to be the best one, frankly. And they're trying to bully you, really. And so I always tell people, especially my, my Dispo guy, but my Dispo guy knows full well. But I tell other people when they're hiring Dispo or they're trying to get that part of their business ironed out, one of the most important things for that position when you're talking to buyers and you're a dispositions manager, one of the most important things is that you don't get run over, that you don't get bullied, that somebody can't just push you around. You set the terms. You tell them what's going to happen. Um, you you said you mentioned setting up a group showing and they say they don't want to get into a bidding war. You're, you don't ask them if you can set up a group showing. You tell them there's going to be a group showing. And if they say they don't want to get into a bidding war... Just tell them you totally understand, and hopefully next time, you know that you that you can get, you know, they can make a bid on the next one. Or hey, maybe the next one, this one may not be for you. Trust me, they'll go to the showing and they'll make bids, and they'll probably get into a bidding war. Frankly, they're they they're sensing that they can bully you and push you around, and they can dictate terms to you. They need to not sense that anymore. You need to get that out of their heads. You set the terms, you tell them what's going to happen and you let them know, listen, I'm taking offers. I'll make my decision by Thursday or whatever day, right? And if they start pressuring you on Monday and Tuesday, say, hey, I said Thursday, I make a decision and that's it. You can pull your bid if you want. I don't care. But we're waiting until Thursday because I'm going to respect everybody else who's trying to get their bid in, just like I would respect you if you wanted to get your bid in and I told you you had till Thursday. How would you feel if I sold it on Tuesday? And then you called me on Thursday with your bid and I said, it's already sold. Even though I told you, you had it until Thursday, right? You have to take them down that path. They know it. They're just trying to get you to sell them something at a price that is not as good as you're going to get from other people. So I say tough. Buyers have to learn that your process is not going to be flexible just because they don't like it. They have to live with it. And if the minute you start worrying about pissing off your buyers because you're following the rules and you're sticking to what you said you're going to do, then they're just a bad buyer. I wouldn't really care, honestly. All right. Let's see. All right. Uh, Nick, you're welcome. Just saying thank you for the answer. Yeah, man, for sure. I appreciate you being here, brother. All right. Next question. All right. What should I look for? during a property tour when considering buying an investment property? I mean, a lot of stuff you're looking at, you know, if you're going to flip it or if you're going to wholesale it, you're kind of looking for the same things. Like, is it on a major road, right? Because that's a strike. That's usually not a desirable situation. Um, does it have a funky layout? Is the layout on the inside weird and it's going to require a lot of moving walls and that kind of stuff? That's not great either. <coughs> is it in a bad neighborhood? That's a strike, right? You're looking at things like foundation. These are the big things, right? Foundation. Is there any indication that there's been a, a leak or any sort of water problems or water damage that could lead to 
cracked foundation or mold in the attic or mold in the walls or in the floors or in the bathroom or anything like that. Like you're looking for big things, right? Do all the windows need to be replaced? Is the siding good or bad? Is If it's brick, that's great. You don't need siding. But like, what are the big costs? Like all the major mechanicals, how's the roof? How's the foundation? Does the sewer look good? Do you need to get it scoped? Um, how's the HVAC, right? Um, heater, air conditioner, that kind of thing. The plumbing, does it look sound? Like it's, it's the big stuff, right? When you go through these tours, you expect that they're going to need cosmetic updates. They're going to need new bathrooms, new kitchens, new floor, new paint, that kind of stuff. But the stuff that really starts pushing the budget out of control are the big things, roofs and foundations and HVAC and plumbing and electric, right? Do they have like knob and tube? Is this something that was built in the twenties and you're going to have to rewire the whole house? That's a big deal, right? It's a big, that's a big deal. And so that's the kind of stuff that you're looking for. And any of the deal killers, like I said, you know, sometimes mold and bad foundation, maybe they're not deal killers, but for a new investor, it might be a deal killer because you have never dealt with it and it could be a lot of money, but things like on a main road in a bad neighborhood, funky layout. You know, the house doesn't look like the other houses. It's like way worse. And I don't mean worse because you always want to buy like the bad house in the good neighborhood. But what I'm saying is like all the other houses around it were built 10 years ago and they're beautiful brick homes. And yours, it looks like it was a mobile home that was just plopped on land. Like that's an exaggeration, but it's going to be tough. The, the curb appeal is not good and nobody's going to, you know, want to buy that house. So just make sure that the big things are kind of accounted for and and you're not going to have any repairs that are going to take you well past your budget like the things that we do if we think there's a bad foundation or we suspect that the um the sewage or the the septic and all that or you know the, the all the sewage that runs out to the street all that's if we think that could be bad or the foundation we have people come in and we scope all the drains and we have a foundation expert check because we've been burned. We've had $30,000 foundation repairs that we didn't have in the budget. And I had to one time dig up all of the plumbing from the basement of a house all the way out to the middle of the street. And it was $24,000 that I wasn't planning on doing. There was no budget for that. And so those are the things you learn with time that you want to make sure that you're not getting, uh, you're not getting burned on. All right. Uh... Let's see. All right. Oh, let's see. Ba, 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 ba. Any more questions? Uh, the property tour, we got that. Uh, let's see. So the last question looks like, unless somebody puts one down in the chat. Uh, do you have potential employees take a personality test? Why or why not? Yeah, we always do. Everybody takes a personality test before they come into the company. Um, we do it as part of our part of our hiring process because we just really want to know what's under the hood, right? We want to know how people are sort of constructed. And even though personality tests are not perfect, we get that, they still tell an awful lot about somebody. They really are very revealing about people's personalities and the way they function inside of a team or the way that they react to certain situations. And so you can tell a lot of times if somebody has uh, an incredibly short fuse, meaning they don't have any patience at all, that that will come through a lot of times on uh, personality tests. It's not necessarily bad. I mean, a short fuse where they like blow up at people and they're belligerent, like obviously that's bad. But somebody who's impatient, I'm impatient, like I'm super impatient. And that comes through on all the personality tests that I take. Or if somebody is a real people person, 
right? That's good if you're hiring them for sales. You want them to be a people person. But if they're an extreme introvert, like they're the opposite of a people person, right? They don't really like being around people. And they're applying for your sales job. You can't hire them. It'll never work. No no matter how hard they try, they're just not going to have it to talk to people and have that ability to to connect with people. So um, if they're if they're an extreme introvert or it shows in their personality test that they're just not into people, like they just don't want to be around people, they can't have a job where they're required to be in front of people and make connections and and create, you know, relationships and and rapport. It just won't work. So yeah, personality tests are huge. Like I said, they're not perfect. They don't tell everything. Um, but they're they're an important part of our hiring. And then also when people come into your company, you want to have managers and people they manage have their personality tests to make sure they mesh. Or if they don't mesh perfectly, that manager needs to be aware, made aware of what they have to do to make that relationship work and get the most out of that person. And personality tests a lot of times are great for that. Okay. Uh, let's say Nick's, Nick's coming back here with a question. Uh, let's see. Let me put it up here because I can. Nick says, when you have a deal, uh, how are you evaluating the property? Is it like a flip or a short-term rental? I, I'm not sure if I understand your question. When I have a deal as a wholesaler, I'm evaluating it as both a flip and or a rental. Not really short-term. Honestly, our process... Uh, we don't really evaluate properties right now regularly as a short-term rental because A, we're not buying them for short-term rentals and B, we just haven't had buyers tell us that's what they're doing with them. But to be honest, it's probably not a bad idea. Short-term rentals two years ago, it was unheard of to to sell you know a house in a regular neighborhood and say it's going to be a short-term rental. It's just nobody was doing that. But now it is way more... Um, uh, normal. It's more the norm for people to do that. So it's actually not a bad idea. Now that you're like writing this and my my brain's processing it as I read it, we probably should look at it as a short-term rental and maybe even advertise those numbers when we put it out to our buyers list. It's not a bad idea, actually. It's a really good idea. So thanks for that, Nick. I appreciate it. We're going to start doing that. But normally, we evaluate it as a flip or a long-term rental. Those are the two things that we um, that we evaluate it as. <clears throat> Okay, uh, let's see. Ba, 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 ba. All right, uh, I think that's it. Uh, unless anybody has any more uh, questions, uh, but it looks like we are good for tonight, guys. Again, I apologize for my voice; it's really raspy, and so I'm sort of losing it a little bit. So uh, I assume that I will be to full strength again next week, and I will be back with you uh, at seven o'clock Eastern Time, four p.m. Pacific, guys. If you want me to help you in your business this year, if you're sick of your business just not growing or you not knowing what to do to get your next deal or how to scale up or why am I working more now than I did when I worked a nine to five or I can't get out of my nine to five because I'm too busy working there. I can't work enough in my business. If you want me to help you out of that frustrating situation, I'm here for you. You just have to go to seven figure investor. That is seven, the word seven, figureinvestor.com. And when you go there, this is what you'll see. This is the page. So go there, check it out. The next session begins in May and I want to see you guys there. So go there and check it out, guys. Until next week, have a great week. Go out there and kill it. Come back on Wednesday. Ask me all your questions and we'll keep you moving forward. All right, guys, we will see you next time. 
All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.